Hey, this is Tony Amaya. I am the pastor of Cross Parallel. Thanks so much for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. We pray it encourages you, builds up your faith, and draws you closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for listening. So I have four points tonight um, about sex. We're in our series on loveology. We talked about um, love. Well, the, the first week we talked about ha- building our foundation upon Christ, building our foundation upon God's Word, because without building our foundation upon this, everything else is distorted. Just like the, the Leaning Tower of Pisa, the, the foundation is just a little bit off, which means the higher up it goes, the more and more off-centered it becomes. And the longer we live our life in an off-centered way, learning lessons from Disney, learning lessons from Taylor Swift or Cardi B or media in general, um, our life will be distorted and off, um, off-center. And so we talked about that, then we talked about ahava, lo- the three different kinds of love. You can't love God and love tacos in the same way, right? We in English have the same word uh, for love. In, in, in Hebrew, there were three different kinds of love. There's a friendship love, there's the sexual love, and then there is an ahava love, which is true love, a love that lasts. Um, last week, my wife spoke on marriage and the purpose of marriage. And so tonight, we're going to talk about sex. So um, let us pray and we will get down on it. So Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you so much for your love and your mercy and your forgiveness. God, you are such a good God and we are so honored to be called your children and to get to serve you. Lord, tonight we want to hear your voice. And so Father, I ask that you would amplify your voice tonight. God, would you make our ears sensitive to your voice, our hearts sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to encounter your spirit tonight. Lord, would you give us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I have four points on sex. So if you're taking notes, point number one, sex is good. Sex is good. We all have different opinions or or views and thoughts about sex, mostly um, how you were raised. Either your parents taught you that sex is beautiful and it's sacred or dirty negative like we don't talk about that here um it's mysterious uh, to some they they see it as it's just a leisurely activity that you do for recreation um some people view sex as a selfish act um or or it's harmful or it's holy there's a lot of different views of sex and 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 when i looked at um even just our opinions on on the first night when I asked you all to write out your thoughts about love, marriage, sex, and um, dating, uh, everybody was so scattered. It was all subjective. And so we just want to come back to the Word of God and make sure that we align ourselves with it. And even as I studied, I, I found myself realigning myself with the Word of God and not with culture at large or even um, what the church says about sex because the church is often silent on sex. This is a a matter that is uncomfortable and like, hey, don't talk about that at church. Like say that for a conference, right? Don't do that at church. So um, tonight we're going to look at what God has to say about it. So we see, first of all, that God created sex. In the very beginning, God created everything and saw that it was good. And so that word good in Hebrew in in the video, if we had been able to watch it, it says that word is tov, T-O-V, tov. And it's, it's, 
the, the word that he uses over and over, he created the sun, moon, and stars, and it was good. It was tov. And, and then he goes on to explain different kinds of things that we would say are good, like, um, like your favorite food in your mouth. That is tov. Um, the, the, a, a breeze on a summer night is tov. Sex is tov. A kiss is, is tov. Um, and, and so when, when God created the earth, Adam and Eve, their first command, we read this in Genesis chapter 1, he, he said, be fruitful and multiply. Be, be fruitful and increase in number. That was God's first command. So um, I know like a lot of times when people read the Bible or they learn about Christianity, they think, man, this is just a, a book of rules. And rule number one is to have sex with your spouse. And so that might hook you there. Like, okay, I, I'm interested in reading more about this God um, who created sex. He created a good thing for us to enjoy. <clears throat> and so, uh, so someone, someone somewhere came up with this saying. I don't know who it is, but they said, we were sexual before we were sinful. We see in Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man, and that is where sin came into the world. But Adam and Eve were commanded about their sexuality before sin came into the equation. And so we need to understand that this is a good, good thing. It was created for us to enjoy. It was created to bring us closer to another human, to bond us together in achad. Achad, right? So that's a Hebrew word, to, to, to bond us together. It's it, in, in the scripture, um, what God says, or what Adam, God says, to Adam and Eve, it says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. The two will become achad. achad. So um, that same word, achad, is used to talk about the relationship of God the Father and the Holy Spirit. Our God is one. He is one. So when we, as, as believers, Pentecostal believers, we believe that they're that we have one God in three forms, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The three are one. They are bound together. They can't be tied, pulled apart. They're dependent upon each other. And that same word is used to talk about the two becoming one, the uh, two, two people coming together. And so, so when, when we see that, we see that sex is more than a physical act, right? A, a rape victim, it, it affects her so much more than... Uh, being physically raped or assaulted or abused because when, when bruises and scars go away, there's still pain that's there because sex involves emotions. Sex involves the soul. And so we, when, when sex is had, we, there, it's, uh, this thing has created a, a soul tie because the two have become one. And I'm going to talk on that in, in a little bit, but sex is good. Um, that, that's point number one. It's fun. It's loving. It's intimate. It's satisfying. And so, because it's good, it's, it's satisfying, it's intimate, it's fun, all of these things, um, I think a, a good question to ask is, well, then God, why can't everyone experience that whenever they want? If it's a good thing, why shouldn't we be able to experience that? And I wrestled with that when I was, uh, when I was in high school and college and after college, and I'm like, come on, God, like, what's the big deal, man? It's good. It's enjoyable. Married people can enjoy it. Why can't I enjoy that? And I think that this is a valid question. Um, and it shouldn't just be because I said so, right? God's not that kind of God that says because I said so. And that's why there, there is an explanation to this. Um, and, and I believe that the reason why there are guidelines for sex 
why we can't just why everyone can't just have sex whenever and with whomever they please um, is because a good gift used before its appropriate time won't be appreciated or respected as much and it can be harmful and so I think about Disneyland uh, I yeah I'm comparing sex and Disneyland together okay um, but I, I, I laugh, and, and I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm not a parent, and so I don't know. But I, I, I laugh when I see parents taking their three-year-old to Disneyland. And the three-year-old is excited and happy. Um, but around like 2 p.m., they're exhausted and they're tired. And Minnie Mouse is making them cry. And, and, and so like your parents had a good thing for you, but you're not old enough to really appreciate what went into it. A, a seven or eight-year-old, a nine or 10-year-old will appreciate it much more and be able to fully enjoy that gift. The same thing is true with driving a vehicle. I love the ability to drive a vehicle. I'm sure that you all are happy that you have a driver's license and can get around from place to place. Um, but why doesn't everybody get to drive? If it's a good thing, why doesn't everybody get to drive? Because we know that a five-year-old and a 13-year-old will not um, fully respect um, the, the ability to drive. They're not going to be responsible enough to recognize the power behind the will, and they would be irresponsible. I think even some 21, 24-year-olds should still not have their driver's license yet, but I'm not the lawmaker. Um, so I want to read to you guys a quick story from this book. So if you can just close your eyes and begin to get real creative and imagine with me here. All right. So this, this is a book for young men, um, but I'll try and uh, say he and she and all of that. But imagine this scenario. It says you're 13 years old and you're a car freak. Your friends are into cars too, and practically all of you talk, that's all you talk about. You admire rides on the street, you check them out in magazines and websites. You have car fever. One day you open your garage door to take out the trash, and there it is. The sweetest, sleekest, fastest looking car you've ever seen. At least that's the way you imagine it looks. The car itself is under a big drop cloth, so though you can't actually tell what it's like, you know that it's something spectacular. And the best part, it's parked in your own garage. Just then, your parents walk in with big smiles on their faces. How do you like it? Your dad asks. You just grin at him. Good, he says, because it's yours. Your jaw hits the floor. Your father and I love you very much, your mother explains. And we know how happy this car will make you, so we want you to have it. But then your dad throws in the kicker. It's yours to drive as soon as you turn 25. What? Your smile fades. 25? That's 12 years from now, you protest. I'll be old enough to drive in three years. We understand that, your parents reply, but trust us. If you wait until after high school and college, you'll appreciate the car a lot more. You won't be as tempted to drive it recklessly, plus your insurance rates will be a lot lower. While you, stay, while you stare in your amazement, your parents lay out the ground rules. The car will be kept in the garage under its protective covering until your 25th birthday. Then it will be yours to enjoy for the rest of your life. What would you think of a gift like that? How hard would it be to accept your parents' terms? 
Before you answer, let's flash forward a few years. You've got your driver's license. As far as the law is concerned, you're free to drive the car anytime you want, but your parents won't budge on their terms. To make matters worse, a lot of your friends are starting to get cars of their own. They talk about how much fun it is to tool around. They brag about the good, what good drivers they are. And of course, they make fun of you for not driving your car. When you get a girlfriend or boyfriend, the situation becomes more urgent. She starts dropping hints about how nice it would be if the two of you could just drive in your car. You manage to make excuses for a while, but she keeps getting more insistent. At one point, she tells you that if you really love her, you'll ignore your parents' rules and you'll take her for a ride in the car. Adding to the pressure is the fact that everywhere you look, TVs, movies, magazines, music videos, billboards, you see people enjoying their cars. And every scene reminds you that you can't join the fun yet. Under those conditions, no one would blame you if you started to question your parents' guidelines, guidelines, would they? Or if you started to spend more time in the garage, peeking under the car cover, taking a look at what's waiting for you. Now listen to this. I I like this part. But the excitement of peeking would last only so long. At some point, you'd want to take the cover off completely to get a better look at the car. And then you'd want to open the door and climb in behind the wheel. Of course, you'd also want to hear what the car sounds like. So when the time's right, you'd jump in and fire up the engine. Maybe you'd rev it up a few times just to feel its awesome power. After a while, though, even the thrill of that would fade. And you'd be faced with the biggest decision of all. Do you blow off your parents' wishes and start enjoying the present whenever you get the urge to drive? Or do you resist the temptation? Do you listen to what your parents tell you and keep the car in the garage until your 25th birthday, even if it means waiting nine more years? Taking the car out. Taking the car out would give you a lot of immediate pleasure. It might also make you popular with your friends, not to mention your dates. But would it hurt your parents, the ones who loved you enough to give you the good gift in the first place? Quite the dilemma, isn't it? You can open your eyes. Sex is is a good gift given to us by God. And He puts restrictions on this good gift because He knows when it will be most enjoyable. He knows how it is most enjoyable because He created it for us. And when we begin to, it, it, it's true, when you, when you push the line of, of your sexuality and moving, moving forward in a relationship, there's a thrill and your heart begins to beat and your mouth is dry and then holding hands isn't enough. And then you move on to kissing and then that's good for a while, and then that's not enough. And then it's heavy making out, and it goes on and on from there. Um, but sex is a good gift from God, and so we need to thank Him for that gift. He knows what is best for us, and He provides guidelines for when and how it should be used. Um, so I want to read you the scripture. You don't have to turn there. Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 4 says, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love, until the appropriate time. I charge you. This is, this is an urgent declaration from, from the writer of Song of Songs. I charge you. Do not arouse or awaken love until it's appropriate time. Why? Why? So that leads into my second point. Why? Because sex is powerful. Sex is good, number one. But sex is powerful. 
when we um, uh, you you may have heard this analogy before, but sex is is like fire. Fire is so good. It it heats up our homes. It boils water. It cooks food. It gives light. Fire is amazing when it's in the right environment. When it's in the right context. But if you'll drive up to the mountains, you can see burn scars everywhere because fire outside of the right context is destructive. And there are people all throughout this state and this country who can tell you how destructive fire is when it's out of the right context. It, it, it burns down houses. It ruins lives. It leaves damage. It can leave damage on your skin out of the right environment. And the same is true with sex. Inside of marriage, it's beautiful and it's amazing. But outside of marriage, it is destructive. So, I, I talked to you about the word achad, the two becoming one flesh. And I want, to, I want you to open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you have this Bible, the white one, it is on page 222. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 through 20. It says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ Himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two become echad, one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with Him in spirit. Verse 18 is a warning. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So this verse is telling us um, that our sexuality is a part of who we are. It's a big part of who we are. Every sin that a person commits, lying, cheating, stealing, murder is outside the body. But the one who sins sexually sins against his own body. And so that's how we know that, that it's our sexuality and, and sexual immorality really affects us. Science proves this. Um, so I, I love that, that Scripture says this, and it doesn't really make sense until we can study a brain. And so for thousands of years, this didn't really make sense, um, like kind of. But then when you start to study the brain, you can see this. So science will prove that when a person has sex or becomes sexually active and aroused um, at, at, at any level, whether it's intercourse, foreplay, masturbation, or arousal, their brains literally begin to rewire. Literally, like it is shown in, in MRIs or CAT scans, whatever it is that views the brain. I don't know. But they can see the brain. The, the connections between the brain are starting to change when that happens. And chemicals are released. Serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, um, all of these are released during arousal and then, and then even more so during an orgasm. And, and those chemicals are released that are pleasure chemicals that cause you to love that thing that, that caused such joy and it makes you be drawn to it. You're drawn back to that thing. 
Sex causes us to bond to that person. Um, the, this, this is so interesting. Oxytocin, um, which is one of the chemicals that's released um, during arousal, um, is the same. The, this is more so released in women um, than in men, but it's the same chemical that's released when a woman gives birth and when she is breastfeeding. Because that chemical causes you to love that child and be, be drawn to that child. And so in sex, it does the same thing. And you want that with your kid, right? You want that with your husband or her wife, but you don't want those to draw you to a computer screen or your phone or a boyfriend or a girlfriend, someone that you barely know. You don't want that to happen. But in marriage, this is great. Every time a couple has sex, their brain, their emotions, their soul become more in love with each other and they become more dependent upon one another. They're drawn back to each other. They bond to each other. And so last week, April talked about how marriage is not just like a fairy tale. Marriage is hard. Marriage takes a lot of work. It takes grit. And, and, and so it seems like in marriage, Life is trying to pull you apart. And so God created this very fun, enjoyable thing to draw you back together, to draw you back together, to be chemically drawn to one another. So in, in, in marriage, this is good, and God is so good for creating this. Sex is powerful, and that is a good thing. But this is the same reason why sex before marriage and masturbation are so dangerous, because it causes us to bond to people that we shouldn't be, be bonded to. It causes us to be drawn to and addicted to images that we were never meant to be drawn to or, or addicted to. This is why pain addic uh, porn addiction is a real thing because the chemicals are released drawing you back to an image and, and, and back to your hand. That is why it's so dangerous. This is why couples will stay together for way too long when it's clear that they're not a good couple. You'll see a couple and everyone knows this is not a good couple. Why are they together? They're always fighting. They're on and off and on and off again. Like they're breaking up all the time. And even they can know like this person is abusive. This person is not good for me. I don't want to be with them. But yet we keep coming back together because we love each other. But really you love the feeling that you're getting. The, the pleasure chemicals that are released are drawing you back to that person. They're bonding together. Sexuality is supposed to be shared. We see that in Scripture. Sexuality is supposed to be shared. And we are going to, I know this may seem be a little uncomfortable, but it's a real thing. Like, come on, everybody talks about it. Ma masturbation is a real thing that millions, millions of Americans are struggling with right now. Um, and, and, and there's arguments on both sides that it's not okay and it is okay. And we're going to look into that a little bit more in a few weeks. Um, but what we see in Scripture is that sexuality is meant to be shared. And so if you're doing that with yourself, it is not shared. Um, but whatever you share your sexuality with or whomever, you will be bound to that person or that thing. You'll be drawn back to them because this is how God designed you. So when we open up the gift that God has given us, our sexuality, before its appropriate time, 
we will begin to worship the gift over the giver. If you have your Bibles, open up to Romans 1. In this white Bible, it's page 194. It says, um, They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. 125, chapter 1, verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. When we open up the gift of God, before it's due time, we will begin to worship the gift over the giver, the created thing over the Creator. And this verse is paralleled to a story in the book of Exodus. This, if you have this white Bible, Exodus is not in this um, because this is just the New Testament. But if you guys want to open up to Exodus chapter 12, we're going to read a few verses from there. Um, but that, that verse in Romans that says they, cre- they serve created things over the Creator is, is, is paralleled with this Old Testament story in the book of Exodus where uh, the Israelites had been in captivity for 400 years. And then um, Moses goes in and, and says, let my people go. And, uh, and so God makes the Egyptians who had enslaved the Israelites favorably disposed um, to them. And so in, ver- in chapter 12, Exodus chapter 12, we're going to read verses 35 and 36. Um, they're, they're walking out of Egypt. They're now free. And it says, They had asked the Egyptians for things made of silver and gold and for clothes. So you were my slave owner, but now I'm walking out of here free. And I'm asking you, will you give me some, some good clothes and some silver and gold? And it says, And the Lord had given the people favor in the eyes of the, the Egyptians. So the Egyptians let them uh, have whatever they asked for. And they took the best things of Egypt. That's a pretty sweet revenge story, I think. Like, you've, you've had me as your slave for 400 years, but now I'm taking the very best things you have. And I'm not taking it from you, I'm asking it. And you're giving it to me. Booyah, right? Booyah, anybody say that? It's like 90s. Booyah! Early 2000s, okay. Uh, so then this happens. The Israelites go into the desert. They wander around for just a little while. And then comes this encounter in Exodus chapter 32. Flip forward a little bit. And um, Exodus 32 verses 1 through 4. Moses goes upon the mountain to get the Ten Commandments from God. And it says, When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, where is he? Did he die up there? They gathered around Aaron and they said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. So what was the golden calf made out of? Gold and earrings. Who had given, or gold and silver, who had given that to them? Egyptians, but really who had given it to them? God. God gave them this gift and they turned it into their God. Are we any different? 
we are bent to turn gifts into gods. And this is very true with sex. When we open up the gift of God before its appropriate time, we will begin to worship the gift over the giver. And, and, and whatever you worship, you will be enslaved to. Whatever you worship, you will be enslaved to. Culture at large, especially in America, especially in, in Western culture, sex is idolized. It's worshipped as a God. People work out only for the thought of how attractive will I be. They're, they're not working out for health. They, they pay for this gym membership. They put in all these hours so that they may look attractive, sexually attractive. People spend money on, on Botox and, and on cosmetics and and on their clothes so that they not just to clothe themselves not just like because this satisfies me but because I want to be attractive sexually attractive uh so we see that we see that with culture at large that that we worship sex um and whatever you worship you will be enslaved to so again Romans chapter 8 Sorry, guys, we, we got quite a few scriptures here to read. Actually, I'm not sorry. You're welcome. The Bible is so good. Romans chapter 8, verse 6. If you have the White Bible, it's 202, page 202. It says, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God, it does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So we see this word governed, governed, governed over and over and over again. In just these three verses, it's used many times that the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is death. And it is hostile toward God. So when sex is your God, so, so we, we basically choose who's going to be our master. Will God be your master? Will God be your God who tells you what to do? Or will your flesh, will your sex drive be your God? But when sex is your God, listen, it commands and it governs your life. When sex is your God, you have to download porn. You have to masturbate. Because it's, it's my God. And, and, and I'm trying not to. And I'm, I want to say no. But I have to. The urge is so strong. Because something is governing you. Even though you say, I don't want to do this. If God is not God, the one that we worship. And sex is. I have to. Men, when, when sex is your God. You have to look down that girl's blouse. You have to. Look at her butt in the yoga pants. When sex is your God, you have to go over his house just to watch a movie. Watch a movie, right? Oh, we're just going to watch a movie? Come on now. We know where that goes. When sex is your God, you have to hook up with someone, even if it means getting so drunk so that you lose your decision making because I just need to have sex. When sex is your God, you have to let your boyfriend or girlfriend touch you. You have to have sex with them. Sex is very powerful. So don't let it become your God because it will enslave you. And, and we watch this. I've, I've had this. I've had this part of my life where it was like, oh, it takes everything in me not to look. And then I look, right? 
and, and we, we've, we've been there. We've been there. I, well, I don't want to speak for you guys, but I think that it's true. I think that it's true. Um, we're drawn to it. We're drawn to it. I was just listening to this stupid song yesterday. I, was, I wasn't listening to it. Um, I was looking on Netflix, and then this Taylor Swift um, documentary came up, and the song is like, you should see the things we do in my dreams in the middle of the night. Like, whoa, girl, that's bad, right? But, but we listen to that song. Like, it's super catchy. Um, it's super catchy. And, and, and the truth is that culture at large does Imagine what it would be like to be with that person. Come, your God. Do not arouse or awaken love until the appropriate time. Why? Because this good gift from God is powerful. And you, you want to experience the power of it in the right context, not in the wrong context. And so this is why God has called us to holy sexuality. Point number three, sex should be holy. Sex should be holy. Now, we're going to read three verses, and I'm not really going to talk much on them. We're just going to read them, and we'll move on to point four. So, open up to 1 Thessalonians. It's towards the back. Sex should be holy. If you have the White Bible... 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Chapter 4. So if you have the White Bible, it's on page 290. And we are going to read verses 3 through 8. This is so good. God's will is for you. God's plan is for you to be set apart for Him in holiness and that you keep yourselves unpolluted from sexual defilement. Yes, each of you must guard your sexual purity with holiness and dignity, not yielding to lustful passions like those who don't know God. Never take selfish, this is so good right here, never take selfish advantage of a brother or sister in this matter. For we've already told you and solemnly warned you that the Lord is the avenger in all these things. So, so we are brothers and sisters. That is what we are. And, until you're married, you're a brother and a sister in Christ. And, and it says, if you take advantage of your brother or sister in these matters in sexual ways, the Lord is the avenger of them. They don't have to avenge themselves. Okay, amen. Uh, verse 7, For God's call on our lives is not to a life of compromise and perversion, but to a life surrounded in holiness. Therefore, whoever rejects this instruction is not rejecting human authority, but rejecting God Himself, who gives us His precious gift, His Spirit of holiness. When me and April were engaged, I, I memorized that scripture, and I'm just like, I, don't even, I can't even be around her. Like, this is stinking scary. You're not rejecting man's authority. I'm not rejecting my pastor and, and, and people's wisdom. I'm rejecting God. And so I'm like, girl, don't look at me. Like, if we're going to hang out, we'll sit on a bench in Walmart. And literally, that's what we would do because I was so afraid. Okay? And I'm not saying we were perfect, but um, that, that verse is so scary. Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, 
told you we have three passages. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. If you have the White Bible, that's like right at the beginning, page 8. Matthew 5, 27 through 30. This is what Jesus says. Your ancestors have been taught, never commit adultery. However, I say to you, if you look with lust in your eyes at the body of a woman who is not your wife, you've already committed adultery in your heart. If your right eye seduces you to fall into sin, then go blind in your right eye, gouge it out. For you're better off losing sight in one eye than to have your whole body thrown into hell. And if your right hand entices you to sin, cut it off. For you're better off losing a part of your body than to have it all thrown into hell. And the last scripture we'll read is 2 Timothy chapter 2. If your right hand causes you to sin, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, cut it off. What does that mean? Literally, um, I, would, I would not, I hope that we don't have anybody coming here blind next week um, or, or not able to play ping pong. That would be sad. Um, but if that app causes you to sin, get it out. If, if, if your phone is causing you to sin, get rid of it. Right? If, if you know, man, I fall into sin only, oh, I mean, maybe it's once a month. Maybe it's like every other week and, and it's on your TV or your computer in your bedroom. Don't bring your computer into your bedroom. If it's, if it's after 10 p.m., say, okay, at 9 p.m., I'm leaving my phone outside of the room. I'm leaving it on the other side of the room. I can't touch it. Oh, but I need an alarm. There's a thing called a clock, man. Get a clock, okay? Um, but cut it off, throw it away. Second Timothy chapter 2, last one says flee chapter 2 verse 22 2222 flee the evil desires of your youth and pursue righteousness faith love and peace along with those who call on the lord out of a pure heart scriptures telling us here run flee from sinful desires and run to pursue righteousness faith love And peace. So sex should be holy. That was point number three. Sex should be holy. God has called you to be different in your sexuality, to honor the gift, to guard the gift, so that you can enjoy the gift to the fullest. God wants you to enjoy sex. So guard that, guard your sexuality. And, and it doesn't stop once you get married. I still have to guard my sexuality. I still have to guard my eyes and my thoughts. This is, this is a, a lifelong calling on our lives to purity. And finally, my last point tonight, Jesus brings healing. Jesus brings healing. If you have your Bibles, open up to Psalm 103. If you have the White Bible, sorry. So, we really, we are... Um, Sexual beings. We're drawn to sex. It's, it's a part of us. And maybe right now you're listening and you're feeling full of regret. Um, you're feeling like you're in a place of despair. And what do I do? I'm already so far into this. Maybe you've already opened the gift. Maybe someone's forced the gift open. Maybe someone's already stepped 
um, over the bounds and force themselves upon you and you feel like your gift is tainted. Um, maybe you've been addicted to porn since you were young and you've tried to quit and it sucks because you can't get free. And now you're hearing this sermon and you're like, oh my gosh, this, even, this sucks even more because I don't know how to get out of this. Maybe you've been with a few people now and um, you think that you've lost, you, maybe you've lost your ability to bond to someone. Maybe you've gone too far with your boyfriend or girlfriend and you feel like there's no way to recover and start from the beginning. Let's start from the beginning and go with holy sexuality. Maybe there's fear in your heart for any of these things. Um, but this is the good news. This is the good news that Jesus is our healer, that Jesus is a redeemer. That is such good news. There is hope with Jesus. So Psalm 103, I'm going to read verses 2 through 4, and then we'll skip to verse 8. But it says, Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. Our God is the God who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. This verse was life to me so many times when I was in the pit. He redeems your life from the pit and doesn't, doesn't just save you, but you know what? I'm going to clean you up and I'm going to put a crown on you, a crown of love and compassion. Verse 8 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will He harbor His anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the, east, or as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. Bethany, if you could come up. This is the God we serve. This is a good, good God. A God who redeems, who does not harbor His anger forever. A God that is compassionate, gracious, abounding in love, slow to anger. He's slow to anger. And, and, and what we, who, a lot of times we perceive God in the way that we have just been raised. And so if your parents were not slow to anger, you don't think that God is slow to anger. You think He's quick to anger and He's not abounding in love. But He is. And so the truth is that your past is unchangeable, but it's not unredeemable. Listen to that. The past is unchangeable, but it's not unredeemable. So in regards to sex, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. But because of Jesus, we can stand before God blameless and without a guilty verdict. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes, you may not feel that great. because, Like, like when, when Jonah gets spit up out of the well, like that's, a, that's an exciting moment because I'm free, God's forgiven me, but I'm covered in slime and I feel disgusting. I'm covered in, in well puke, right? That sucks. And so, so know that Jesus forgives. And maybe you feel dirty and, and ashamed, but you're not condemned. There's not a guilty verdict on you because Jesus has taken that. 
So if you've gone too far, how can you be made right again? Repent. Confess your sin to God and turn from your ways. Chase after God. Pursue love, righteousness, faithfulness. Pursue God. And you probably will go through withdrawals because we studied sex is powerful and there's a chemical bond. And, and listen, this is the thing that's like just mind-blowing and studying all of it. It's, it's not having the act of sex or an orgasm that releases chemicals. Getting aroused releases chemicals. So you might go through withdrawals, fight through withdrawals, Get an accountability partner. Have, have someone have the password on your phone. Tell, tell someone whenever you're with your, your boyfriend or girlfriend, tell them. I had, to, I, I had people that they had to know every time I was with April. And if I was with her past 10, they were going to shoot me. That's not true. Um, but for a while, it was true. It's like, you're, are you kidding me? It's past 10, dude. I'm going to come over and knock you out. Okay, okay, I'm leaving. Um, Having accountability partner, get counseling, break up if you need to, but get filled with the Spirit of God. And, and the last thing I would tell you to do, embrace forgiveness, embrace the mercy of God, embrace the love of God. He delights in showing mercy. He wants to do that. So embrace it, receive it. The road to repentance, the road to healing are one in the same. And they're hard roads. They're narrow roads. They're long, but they are worth it. And so tonight, what I, I just want to quickly do this. I've spoken for a while, but I know that this is such an important topic. I know that this is, is touching people's hearts. It touches my heart. As I study it, I remember, I remember my life of sin. I remember my struggles. And still today, there's the struggle, and there's and this struggle is a, a lifelong struggle. I believe it, and it's something that every day I die to myself and I take up my cross and I live for Jesus. Um, but I believe that tonight God wants to heal some people tonight. I believe that God wants to touch your heart and that He wants to speak to you. And so we're just—I I just want you to allow the Holy Spirit to to touch you and to to, to move in your heart. And and I would just encourage you to engage with Him. Whatever God's been doing in you tonight, respond to that. Maybe you're discouraged and hurt, broken, ashamed. Respond to Him tonight. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you want to stay up to date with everything we're doing, make sure you follow us on social media and check out our website at crossparallel.com.